0: Good morning. How are y'all? Excellent. Happy uh, Sunday post Easter. It was uh, man. Before we uh, go to our teaching today, we'll be in Acts nine if you, or Acts eight if you want to turn there while I'm talking. But um, I just wanted to uh, uh, man. Last Sunday was an amazing Sunday. Just a great Easter as we were gathered together. Uh, last Sunday, we uh, excuse me. Last weekend it was like kind of Saturday and Sunday where our Easter service was not Good Friday, but Last weekend, just our Easter services was the largest services we've ever had in this place as a church, as a Lake Orion campus. It was pretty amazing um, just to have uh, the amount of people that we had. Uh, I know friends and family from in and out of town. I think one of the things that that God revealed to me last week is, honestly, I saw a lot of people that I don't see very often. And a lot of people that really maybe haven't come back fully to church and engage in a full way post the pandemic i know that did a lot to a lot of us and we kind of got used to it i mean, if you're watching online and you've been watching online uh for a while uh we'd love to have you see your face in this place and no no uh shame or guilt on anyone i think what what east what happens on easter is um, just to be real candid with you most people uh, uh nowadays are only attending church a couple times a month the national average actually is less than that and i think what happens on easter is everybody comes to church and so you really see who the church family is. And I man, my heart is like, man, what if it was like this every Sunday? What if every Sunday this place was bustling with people? The parking lot you couldn't park, and it was just full of people and energy. That would be unbelievable and amazing. And that's where I'm praying, is that God would do a work in our hearts to see that this is an important thing we do every Sunday in equipping the saints to do the work of the ministry and the spirit of God moving among his saints as we gather together. And so if you can't tell, was pumped up from last Sunday. And uh, I just loved seeing God's people in this place and God moving among people. Um, and, and just if you're new to our church, uh, my name is Jim. I'm the pastor, one of the pastors here, a campus pastor. And, um, man, it's been a great year. For, for those of you who are new, this isn't for you. For those of you who call this church home, I just want to give maybe a little bit of a family update uh, not my family, but this church family update, um, the, the, our, our, our year kind of goes from May to April. So that's our budget and how we kind of think through the year and all that kind of stuff. And so, man, I remember at the beginning of December, I was calling in our church family uh, to be generous to our church as we were about $100,000 behind our budget. And you guys generously, amazingly made all of that up through the month of December. Plus, we were in the black for our budget. And man, I just want to say, praise God. We got, we got this week and two more weeks in our budget year. And right now, we're ahead of budget. And uh, I just want to say thank you for that. Thank you for your generosity. That's amazing. You continue to follow God with not just your talent, but your treasure and what God's entrusted with you. So that we as a church continue to move forward. And I just want to ask for us to be faithful. Uh, even in the next couple of weeks that we'd finish that way on budget. And um, man, I just want to say thanks. It's amazing to be a pastor in this place. And um, so many of you have impacted my life as, uh, as we work together to do what God's called us to do in this place. Right? So Acts chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Uh, we're continuing a series today uh, called The Essentials, Why Truth Matters. We did it through Good Friday and Easter as well, where we have been looking at the Apostles' Creed. Uh, which is not scripture, but it's put together for doctrinal truths that we might look at and say, this is what we believe. And we've been walking through that systematically, breaking it up in chunks. And last week we talked about, I believe in Jesus Christ. I believe that he came, that he was born of a virgin, all of that. I believe that Christ died, and he he was buried, and he rose victoriously, and he's sitting at the uh, uh, the right hand of the Father. And today we take another step in the Apostles' Creed as we enter into a statement that it says, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, what, 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 that, that's a very open statement. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but what does that actually mean? Or should I just pose to you, maybe this morning, to wrestle with what do you believe about the Holy Spirit? What do you believe about the Holy Spirit? It's interesting, as I was preparing, I read a number of things, as you often do as you're studying, and I read this um, about a a problem maybe we have with our understanding of the Holy Spirit within Christendom, across the board. This is what he writes. He says, the writer says, I must confess that I'm habitually mortified when I learn about many of the orthodox excuse me, many of the unorthodox things that professing Christians believe about the Spirit. I say with no exaggeration that I have met Christians who, soon, who, who seem to think that the Holy Spirit as something like Jesus' vapor trail or a mysterious or impersonal force that conveys God's presence or even a kind of heavenly buzz that falls on people when the funky psychedelic worship music is played. The way some people describe the Holy Spirit could just as well uh, describe magnetism, mood rings, or Motown records from the 1960s. But then there are other churches that positively, uh, um, that are positively petrified of anything to do with the Holy Spirit, lest they themselves get too enthusiastic in their faith that they might start dancing in the aisles and begin muttering, untie my bow tie. In some places, this has led to a kind of don't ask, don't tell policy when it comes to one's experience of the Holy Spirit. That is a catastrophe. Excuse me. That is catastrophic on so many levels because if you do not have the Spirit, then you do not have Christ. We need the Spirit like we need air in our lungs. And I think what the writer Michael Bird portrays here is what I generally feel as a pastor when I interact with people about the Holy Spirit. It's either we're on one side, everything is fantastic, and it's This this hysterical charismaticness on one side, which can be taken to an extreme. And then on the other side, I grew up in a circle where it was Father, Son, and maybe the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was there, but we didn't really engage with Him much. We didn't know kind of what He did. The only thing I knew about the Holy Spirit is He sealed me until the day of redemption. Amen. But like walking with Him, what He did, I remember a shift in my experience with the Holy Spirit... And what what I knew the Holy Spirit did in my life is, I was in Uganda, I won't tell you the whole story, I've told it before, in a little village in the middle of um, a refugee camp, 100,000 refugees in Uganda, and we prayed over a young girl who was sick. And it was the first exorcism I've ever been a part of. I won't tell you the whole story, but for the first time with my own eyes, now this might mess with your theology, you can do with it what you want. A girl from Detroit spoke in tongues to a demon And the demon was casted out of a young woman. And what she was speaking was the native tongue of Uganda, and she's never spoken before. And I came home, and I was wracked at what I witnessed the Spirit of God do in an individual walking in tune with the Spirit as I, as a pastor, (laughs) was uh, quivering in the corner, sucking my thumb, because what I witnessed and seen... And again, there's this ebb and flow of what the Spirit of God is, and today will be no exhaustive measure of teaching on what the Holy Spirit is. We could do a whole series for months on who the Spirit of God is and what He does and the person of the Spirit, but I just want to wrestle today with a little bit of what the Spirit of God is and what we mean when we say Um, I believe in the Holy Spirit. When we confess that we believe in the Holy Spirit, what do we mean by that? What do you believe about the Spirit? Do you truly possess the Spirit of God in your life? And so we're going to look at an interesting text, not one you probably thought we were going to look at, because there's many about the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. And it's in Acts chapter 8, verses 9 to 24. And the story is an encounter that demonstrate a couple of different vantage points about the Spirit of God and the reality of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God at work in his ministry and all that he does. And I just wanna look at three scenes together as we dive into it and see if we can't wrestle with what it means that we believe in the Spirit of God and who he is. And there's gonna be three things that happen, a confrontation, there's confusion, and then lastly, correction. And so let's look with it together Acts chapter 8, verse 9. It says, But there was a man named Simon, now this isn't Simon Peter, it's a different Simon. Simon, who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed people and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is, not has, but is the power of God that is called great. Verse 11, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. And then my favorite word in the Bible, but. But when they believed Philip as he preached good news, what? About the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, they continued with Philip and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he who, Simon, was amazed. So the first thing we see is this confrontation, and there's this confrontation between a spectacle and the Spirit of God. In the first scene, there's just introduced this confrontation that's happening, and what's happening is Philip, who's a deacon in the first century church, this is amazing, a deacon is doing a ministry in Samaria because what? Uh, we, um, they were told in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, you're going to go and you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. And so Philip is just fulfilling part of that as he's there sharing the gospel and spreading the good news of Christ in Samaria. And, and man, he's doing some amazing, amazing work. I mean, you just read just before this and, and at the end of, of chapter 8, it's like right after Stephen is stoned, who's another deacon, Man, he, he whips them upside the head with his teaching, so much so upsets them, and then it says, goes on and moves on to Philip proclaiming Christ to the Samaritans, and it says that, and they saw signs that he did for unclean spirits crying out with a loud voice came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city, and this is the ministry that's happening with Philip, and then we pick up right after that, and in verse nine, we meet this guy by the name of Simon. And Simon, it says, who's previously a, some sort of wizard. I don't know. He's practicing magic, and people in Samaria were, like, amazed by everything that he did. And, man, he believes his own press clippings. Man, it says that the people were amazed by him. And, man, all paid attention to him. And he believed himself that he was something great. has the heart of arrogance. And, man, I'm, I'm somebody. And then it says, all of a sudden, but that amazing word in verse 12. <laughs> Philip rolls into town, and Philip starts preaching the good news of the gospel and about the kingdom of God. And specifically, it says, and the name of Jesus Christ. Man, if you want to have a fun study sometime, just go in Acts and start reading the beginning of Acts. And circle every time and say, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus. If you didn't know, there's power in the name of Jesus. And he says... Man, there's this confrontation that happens. Now all of like Philip's people that liked his magic skills are like, man, this guy literally healed the lame, the sick, casting out demons. There's nothing going to come against him. He's preaching the good news of the gospel. People are coming in droves, accepting Christ, being baptized. And man, like it's unbelievable. Now this guy who is like the magician in town is confronted with Philip and the kingdom of God. And he's like, man, I'm, I'm kind of out of sorts. Like, I don't know what I'm going to do now. This guy is more magical than I am. And in verse uh, 5, previously in verses 5 through 8, you saw some of what he was doing, proclaiming the kingdom of God, and man, it's amazing that the people are responding, I'll I'll just say this, what it points to is that there there is something you can see between the true work of God and the work of something else. And these people are amazed that he's doing some pretty marvelous works. And this guy's great in the community. And he's, he's like doing all, I don't know what he's doing. Maybe he's levitating. Who knows? Like he's doing some cool stuff. And then someone marked by the name of Jesus, someone who's given their life to Jesus, rolls into town. And they're like, man, that's fake and that's authentic. That's, that's some sort of like magic. This is God. And it just points to the fact that, man, when God moves, you can tell that it's God. It's not some pre-manufactured, man-made thing. It's the Spirit of God moving, and there's this kind of conflict because the name of Jesus is releasing people from Satan's authority now in Samaria. At the name of Jesus, people are being released. Man, that's not true. This is right. This is true. And it begins like this conflict. So even Simon, man, he's like, I believe. And Simon was baptized. We'll come back to this. And he continued with Philip, with all of the people. But if you think about it, if you read the rest of the story, which we're going to, you ask why. Why did Simon get baptized? Why did Simon believe and move with, with him, with Philip? What well, we'll see here in a few moments... But it seems as though the work of the Holy Spirit has been moving in Philip and, man, the people are seeing signs and wonders. And Simon, who's previously used to doing signs and wonders, is like, that guy's got some better signs and wonders. I'm going with that guy. Right? I mean, have you ever ever seen or maybe you've experienced it, you're somebody and you maybe have a position or you have an in with something and people seem to like attach themselves with you? Like you see this a lot within professional um, sports, right? That somebody makes it big in sports and they're like a draft pick of whatever sort and they make it into the NFL or the MLB or the NHL or whatever it is and all of a sudden all of their friends come out of the woodwork. Like, hey man, remember me? We used to play T-ball. We were five. Bro, we should hook up. Right? They suddenly attach themselves to them because of their fame, their clout, what they bring to the table. Or maybe their influence. I'm just being honest with you, there's been not really many, but a couple times in my ministry where I feel like certain people, they only, none of them go to church here anymore. So all of you are, whew, okay. No, I'm just kidding. It wasn't even here. But they seem to like just only really want to be your friend or come be close to you because you're the pastor of the church and what you might bring to the table with them or what influence they might be able to have in the church, right? And it seems as though this is kind of what Philip is is experienced with Simon. As he sees, Simon's got something, or Philip's got something to gain here. And he is interested in a spectacle rather than the Spirit of God. Can I just be honest with you? I try my best every week, as honest as possible. I'm, I'm, I'm concerned sometimes about the generation that we're in in some areas. Don't take this as a blanket statement. In some areas... That some people within Christianity are more about the spectacle of the Spirit than the Spirit Himself. They're more addicted to worship experiences than experiencing a holy God. Can I tell you, it bothers me when we call them worship experiences. No, we're coming into a place to worship a holy God. This isn't an, ex- it is an experience, but it's meant to be a time when we come together and lift up the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I'm t- I just feel as though there's a lot of people that love to go to these high moments where we get to sing, and I'm all about it. You wanna look over here? I'm after it. Let's worship the Lord together. But they're addicted more to that rather than the spectacle of God. But not, man, the other six days a week, are we in our prayer closet with the Lord, asking the Lord for me to experience a holy God in an intimate way because the Spirit of God is residing in me. He's not just floating around in here. He's residing in us. And sometimes I have, and I'm worried sometimes that there's people that are more about an experience in a room of people than they are in experiencing the Spirit of God in their lives. As they walk out, as you go into your workplace, as you engage your family, as you're convicted of sin, the Spirit of God is relevant and moving in all of that, and He's actually a person. He's not some secret sauce to worship services. Right? And may we be a church that is this, we love this because I truly believe throughout history when people come together, repent of their sins, lift up the holy name of Jesus, man, the spirit of God is present there and moving. I am no way minimizing the, the, the gathered experience of the saints. I'm just saying that sometimes I think there's some people that are addicted to the experience rather than experiencing Jesus. And I just want to say publicly that the Spirit of God is not a spectacle to be thrown out, but rather he is the third person of the Trinity and a holy God to be revered and to be worshipped like no one else. Well, well, if you continue on in verse 14. Is it hot in here? I, knew I should have wore short sleeves today. And verse 14, look with me. can't lift my arms anymore. Um, now when the apostles at Jerusalem, Nicholas, can you bring me a, a hanky up here? No, I'm playing. I'm playing. <laughs> now when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the, the word of God, they sent them Peter and John. This is when the story gets fun. Verse 15, who came down and prayed for them and they might, that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, for he, the Holy Spirit, had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw... This is where you get kind of an inclination of where Simon's at. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying out of the apostles' hands, he offered them money saying, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. So now we interact with, there's confusion. Is the Spirit of God gained or is the Spirit of God given? Um, and here, they're in Samaria. This is key. Where they're at, what's happening, all this. We're gonna get to some interesting text here. In Samaria, they're preaching the gospel, and the word of God has gone forward effectively, but they're missing a vital element, a vital reality of being a part of the spirit of, of, of the church, predominantly the Holy Spirit. They've received Christ, but they have not received the Holy Spirit. They've been baptized, but they have not received. The Holy Spirit. Now, what's key in interpreting the text is the context, and they're there in Samaria, and now there's now some Samarian believers. So the apostles, some of the main apostles at the time, Peter and John, hear about this, and so, man, they're sent down to Samaria. They get word of this, and they receive word, and they head down there. So these two leading apostles, they want to come down and verify the authenticity of the report of Philip's ministry and to support him. Like, hey, man, we're we're hearing Samaritans are coming to faith. And this is a super important time in the redemption story and the history of the church. And there's a critical, I can't say this enough, a critical sign needed in the Samaritan church. It's a critical sign needed in the Samaritan church. And so we'll come back to that in a moment. So the apostles came and they prayed for them. They prayed for them and they they lay their hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. And it says that they did. The Spirit of God descended on them and they received the Holy Spirit. And in a moment, in a moment, something happened. Something shifted in the church. Do you know what it was? Now, for the first time, Samaritan people were no longer outsiders to the kingdom of God and the kingdom promises, but were fully included into the church. First time. So I'll just tell you, this is free, okay? Sometimes we get wrapped up in one text in all of Scripture and we interpret the rest of Scripture with it. That is a horrible way to do hermeneutics, to study the Word of God. The most obscure text in the Bible, we always want to interpret with the majority of the texts that are understandable. You You never want to interpret the understandable stuff with the obscure one. And so I, I've been a part of people, and, I'm, and there's no hame, hate or shame. I'm just trying to teach you the Bible and what it really says. About of people that like, man, when you give your life to Jesus, you must, we must lay hands on you for you to receive the Holy Spirit. That's not actually right and true. So within the book of Acts, this is a pivotal moment in story in the first century church when some of the first things that ever happened in church history happened and will never happen again. Hence, Pentecost and Acts 2, the Spirit of God is not descended on people, and so the Spirit of God descended for the first time on people. Now, there's a couple other moments within the book of Acts that are Pentecostal moments that give us clues on what's happening, and there needed to be specific signs for the first century church to move forward in the way that it was supposed to. You have one here. If you know anything about the Samaritan people and the Jewish people, what was the case? They didn't like each other. They hated each other. We already know that the Jews struggled just with Gentiles being a part of it, and they actually struggled with some racism there, and actually Peter had to be confronted to his face, right? And so what happens throughout the book of Acts, there's a couple of number of moments that are not prescriptive, they're descriptive. Meaning, they're describing what happened in the first century church, and there were pivotal moments for the first century church so that a sign would happen, that it 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 would shift in the the apostles' minds, that they would know this is true and right and good. So for the first time in this moment, God made it so the apostles, the main ones, Peter and John, are there, and they witness it with their own eyes, that now Samaritans are a part of the church. So God made it in this moment as a sign. In every other place, you see that the Spirit of God, when you give your life to Christ, he indwells you, he comes upon you. There's no people there to lay on hands. I mean, just a couple chapters later, I'm not, I don't want to get into all this because it's off topic, but I just want to show you. In Acts chapter 10, they're taken to Cornelius' house. Peter is called to Cornelius' house, and there, as he's teaching the good news, the Spirit of God falls on them, on Gentiles, and they begin to speak in tongues. Does that mean that when you give your life to Jesus, you're supposed to speak in tongues? Personally? No, no. that is not what Scripture teaches. What it's showing is that in that moment, in Acts chapter 10, it says, you, you read it in the text, he's like, "Ma'am, the Gentiles received the Spirit," it says in the text, "Just as we did." It was a Pentecostal moment for the Gentiles to prove to the church leaders. Just as you receive the Spirit, Gentiles are in too. It's not just Jews anymore. It's the world. And God had to take specific moments to prove to the apostles and the leadership of the church that, man, Gentiles are in. Sumerians are in. And he takes pivotal Pentecostal moments throughout the text. Now, you may believe differently than that and wish still brothers and sisters in Christ. And I still love you. I'm glad you're here. And if you want to have a further conversation with me about that, but that's not even about the text, I just want to show you in these moments, this is good reading of the scriptures. And reading the scriptures well is pivotal to being a good Christ follower. And how we interpret scripture is key to it as well. So there's this crisis moment for Simon when this happens. and. There's no actual recollection in our text, but I don't know. I would never declare one way or the other that Simon actually received the Spirit of God and was redeemed. We don't know from the way he acts. It doesn't seem like it, but so instead of uh, men believing the apostles have uh, the Spirit of God, he believes like there's some magic power that they have that I can acquire with money. And so he tries to buy this secret power. Like, how can I, can I pay for this man? Like, how do I get that power? That was pretty legit. That's that's more powerful than anything I've ever had. And so, instead of giving himself fully to the Spirit of God, he tries to buy the Spirit of God with money, right? So, when you ask, like, the question, like, how does the Spirit come among us? Is the Spirit gained by buying or working or doing, or is... The Spirit of God given by the Father, by the Son, in response to repentive hearts. When I read the Bible, I would say the latter. Simon's perception of the Holy Spirit is all wrong. He's trying to gain the Spirit of God by paying a fee or some sort of physical acquisition. Like these guys are like spirit vending machines. Like here you go. That's $55, and you can have the Spirit of God. Unfortunately, I'm, just, I'm not throwing any shade, but there's people that are teaching that today. There's people that are throwing that out. Pay this money online, and I'll send you a special item and pray a special prayer for you. And people follow it all the time. Rather, the Holy Spirit is given by God to all who believe the Spirit of God is not some magical source we can acquire or use. No, the Spirit of God is the third person of the Trinity and he's not manipulated. We don't do enough things to get him involved or do what we want him to do. It's fascinating or it's been fascinating watching what's happened to Asbury College. I mentioned it uh, probably a month and a half ago and, and there's, a, there's a number of people that threw a lot of shade and you know, like I don't know if it's authentic and all that and you know what, only time will tell. And I haven't been down, I really wanted to go down and just see what God was doing, but I wasn't able to. But man, do you know, have, have you, if you've read at all about it, do you know what, what spurred all of that? And it wasn't just Asbury College, it's broken out on other colleges, some very conservative Bible colleges and others. I mean, do, do you did you ever read like what spurred all of that on, what, what ignited the fire of, of, this, of this revival that we, we maybe saw? You know the number one thing was? Repentance. repentance it wasn't manipulation it wasn't like if we pray for 30 hours the spirit of God will come now granted I'm not saying you shouldn't pray for 30 hours and ask the spirit of God you couldn't yeah we will but if the spirit of God doesn't come we shouldn't get upset but it wasn't that we had like special lights or the best guitar player or the pastor was some significant leader. It was actually students, no-name students, who had a heart for repentance, hating our sin and turning the other direction, wanting nothing to do with our sin and live holy and purified lives. And that is what the Spirit of God responded to, repentance. You see, There's a couple of ways that this actually finds its way into our lives, and and it's a couple of ways. The first would be among pastors and teachers, and I always tell you, beware who you listen to and who you follow and those kind of things, because, man, there's a lot of different people who spread a lot of crazy things, taking single verses out of scripture and spreading this is the way of the spirit. And man, I'm some special anointed person. I believe in anointing strongly. Certain people are anointed by God, to do powerful things. But you know, anointed people don't manipulate people with their anointing. They don't use it for their own gain. They use it for the kingdom of God. And then I would say number two is that believers, man, the Spirit is not gained by certain offerings or or seeking methods or some special gift. Man, the Holy Spirit is a gift, the Holy Spirit is sent by the Father and the Son, and He's sent to equip believers to become Christ-like. The Holy Spirit is not some impersonal force or power that we can disguise or utilize on a whim. He's the Holy Spirit of God. It's a gift from God, truly given to us, as John says, to conform us and mold us into the person of God. He's not a magic trick. A force to be manipulated for people, right? Or amazed, right? And I'll just say, like, I, I just wonder how many of us are in this room, and I feel like the Spirit of God is calling me, even though I'm running out of time, to call some people out in this room. Not by name. Would you please stand up? Uh, I'm playing. Like, I, just, I don't even know who they are. But there's people in this room that have tried to gain God by... Maybe not in this exact way, but gain God or gain the spirit of God. You're here today. You've never truly placed your faith and trust fully in Jesus your whole life. You've been just trying to make God happy, and it's the same kind of thing. Man, if I give enough money to the church, if I do enough stuff, if I, if I like, help uh, the church, if I, you know, do enough good or bad, somehow I'm going to gain the spirit of God. And I'm telling you, it's not... The gospel, it's not what the scriptures teach. The only way in which we gain the spirit of God in our life and with the spirit We get Christ because it's the spirit of Christ. As scripture says, the only way is confessing of my sins, repenting, turning and following Jesus, believing what he did for me on the cross is enough somehow for me, and that he rose victoriously and pushing all in and giving him my entire life. And I'm telling you, there's people here today that are still trying to make God happy enough for them to be saved. And today God is saying, no, no. The Spirit of God is not going to come upon you when you give enough money or do enough stuff. Today is your day to repent of your sins, give your life to Jesus, all of it, and walk with him, right? Because there's correction. What's the response? You see it quickly in in our text. Peter obviously sees something. There's there's a problem with this in verse 20 to 24. This correction but peter said to him may your silver perish with you those are some harsh words because you thought you could obtain the gift of god with money man i hope some people in this room hear that today you have neither part nor lot in this matter for your heart is not right before god he says and what does he tell him to do repent Therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, so this is Simon's response, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So this correction and the response from what I can tell, I don't know his heart, is more religiosity rather than repentance, right? Right? Peter sees this mistake. He sees he's trying to buy God and he rebukes him, right? And he confronts Simon with the reality that you're trying to obtain God with a gift. And he says, may your silver perish with you. And you're you're blinded by your sin and your brokenness. And he has not truly understood the grace of God that you don't receive the spirit of God with obtaining things with silver or money. You return, the only way you obtain the spirit of God, man, I want to tell you today, is through the grace of God. Nothing I earn or do And Peter rebukes him and says, repent, right? He's not saying he's unsavable or beyond the reach of his grace. He actually invites Simon in to repent of his brokenness and sin and confess it before him. And what's Simon's response? Simon says, instead of, he says, hey, he he tells him, "Um, repent, therefore. So he's telling him to repent. and, And what's Simon's response? He asks Peter to pray for him. Will you pray for me and make sure that none of that stuff happens to me? Now, at first glance, I just want to tell you, it's never wrong to ask other people to pray for you. I hope you're praying for me because I strongly need it. I need it all the time. And when people tell me, man, I'm praying for you every day, Pastor, I truly am humbled by that. Like, you should have a community that you can cast your burdens on. They can help carry them. They can walk with you. Like, praying one for another is biblical. That's not what he's getting at. That's not what I'm getting at. It's amazing to have the saints of God interceding for you. But what he's getting at is almost like this idea, of like, you're someone important. You pray for me. I can't do it. He's still not getting it. Right? And I'll just tell you, I'm not, any, I'm not a super Christian. Alex isn't either. Josh for sure isn't. I'm playing. He's a better Christian than I am, actually. I don't think that was Josh's voice. It's too deep, no. Right? I'm not, I'm not a super Christian. Pastor Chris isn't a super Christian. No pastor you see on TV, on YouTube, or here on the radio has any more access to the grace of God than you do. They don't have a super, like, portal they open up, ooh, and they just get direct access to God. It like, doesn't exist. You have access to a holy God through the shed blood of Jesus. And today, if you're here and you've never applied the shed blood of Jesus to your own life because you've never repented of your sins and given your life to Jesus, today you still have access to God to repent of your sins and ask God to apply the shed blood of Jesus to your life. I don't have to do it for you. You see, there's a lot of people that are stuck up in in a lot of religiosity even today. Thinking some old saint has to pray for them, or angel, or a priest, or someone else. And I'm not. I'm again. I'm not like any upbringing you had. I'm not throwing any shade on that or where you go to church currently. And you're just visiting today. I'm just telling you from Scripture, you have direct access to God. Right? That's a pretty amazing thing. And my response and your response to any sin and broken in life, brokenness in our life meant the fruit of the Spirit in someone's real life, the fruit of the Spirit of, is repentance. That the Spirit of God is actually working in my life to convict me of sin and bring me to repentance. 30 minutes before the service, I had to spend a few moments with God repenting of some brokenness in my own life. Before I could stand up before you, because the conviction of God came upon me, to, before I come up and say, yeah, you guys need to repent, the Spirit of God is like, hey, Jim. Right? That's, that's the active work and participation of the Spirit of God in my life, in your life. Right, the spirit's not earned through rituals and policies and rules and all that. No, through true repentance, the spirit of God falls on His people. And then this might be you today. And I just want to say, man, attending church and tithing and fasting and all that stuff is good. And good after we begin to follow Jesus. But man, if there's someone here today and that's your way of trying to find repentance, it's just more religiosity and the Lord is asking you to repent of trying to do all that stuff for God, give your life to Jesus and then continue doing it now for God, not for his love, because you love him. Because he already loves you, man. Galatians 3, 2 says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of law or by hearing of faith, with faith, excuse me? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Believer, today, the same is true. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted Christ, the same is true. You do not receive the Spirit by some works you do. You do it by faith and trust in Jesus. The grace and love and forgiveness and adoption of God is available to all and anyone who turns from their sin and their brokenness in repentance towards Christ in faith, with Jesus alone being our salvation and hope. That is who Christ gives the Spirit of God to. And man, I'll just say as we close, for those of us in this room, at the very beginning, I don't know which side you'd be on, the pendulum you'd be on, but it takes a lot just to stay where truth is in the middle, right? The Spirit of God is not something we manufacture, or we sell, But the Spirit of God is actually a third person of the Trinity. So you might be on one of those pendulums. Yes, the Holy Spirit of God is someone for us, right? He's not a spectacle. He's the Spirit. He's not gained. He's given, right? And and he actually is someone who works in our lives when we repent of our sins. But the Spirit of God should be active in our lives, right? Right? And I'm telling you, there's a lot of people probably in this room, myself included, from time to time, where I am walking not in tune with the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, wants you. He wants to move among you. He wants to speak to you as you're driving down the road with his still, small voice. He wants to convict you of sin, and he wants you to respond. He wants to, like, have you lead, and, or him lead and guide and direct in your life, and for you to walk in pace with him, because he was sent here as our helper. And man, if I don't need his help, it must be a pretty prideful thing to look back at God and say, man. You sent me a helper, and I just don't need him. No, maybe not so. God is so good that when he left, he sent us the third part of the Trinity. He sent Jesus to cover us, and then he sent the Spirit of God to walk with us, to be with us. May we treat him with the reverence and respect that he is deserving, but also walk with him, acknowledging him, and working with him. Let's pray together. God, thanks for today and for the beauty of who you are and what you've done on our behalf. The the fact that you are the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit of God, and that you actively participate with your people in all that you do. And so, God, we just thank you and praise you for sending us this Holy Spirit, sending us um, the third person of the Trinity, God, thank you for the conviction of sin and brokenness and the ability to admit when we're wrong and repent because without you, we wouldn't be able to do that. And thank you for your faithfulness that when we mess up or don't do what we're called to do, you're right there to walk with us. And God, I ask that you would be with anybody in this room today that is here and maybe they've been a lifetime of being afraid of the Holy Spirit. Maybe it's the upbringing they're brought in that the Holy Spirit is someone that kind of is uh, I don't know, puts us on the edge and like it might cause us to like raise our hand during worship or it might cause us to like do something out of our comfort zone or it might cause us to whatever it might be, God would you press into those individuals knowing that the Holy Spirit is there to help and guide and direct. And God, may we Be people that does not put you on display as some sort of spectacle, but give you all the reverence and, and worship that you deserve. And God, would you be with anyone in this room, whether they're a believer or not, that is trying to gain your favor with what they're doing in their life, whether it be money or time or whatever it may be? May we repent of that, knowing you've already given us everything. And you truly want to walk with us, not because of what we bring to the table, but because you loved us. And Holy Spirit of God, move among us even now as we sing. It's in Jesus' great name. Amen.